The Joy FM Sports presents The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley. Welcome to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley. Thank you for joining us again this week as we provide some new sports content, something that has kind of taken place over the last few days that we can kind of recap and discuss here on this show. We all know the college football playoff rankings were recently released, and I didn't really have a problem with the first four. I just had a problem with the order of the first four. But I'm going to start with number five. Number five was Clemson. And Clemson, people said, did Clemson get snubbed? Should they be in the first playoff uh, rankings of the top four? And I'm, I, I, I think the, the committee got it right. Clemson is number five because they don't play anybody. I mean, they of course, they're coming up for national championship season. But if you look at their schedule and who they've played so far, Nobody stands out to you. They don't really have a signature win. I mean, they beat Texas A&M, but that's not saying much with Texas A&M the way that they played this year. So Clemson, I think, deserves that number five ranking. And Clemson will probably get into that Final Four conversation for the playoff just because, like I mentioned, their lack of schedule, uh, lack of strength of schedule. The ACC Atlantic is one of the weakest divisions in college football as far as the power five conferences go and the only probably the only team that can really pose a threat and I don't even know if it's much of a threat is South Carolina South Carolina will play Clemson we know they upset Georgia and maybe they can get Clemson but I doubt it so I think Clemson will get into the top four by default just because the top four teams have to play each other Bama plays LSU this week Ohio State plays Penn State in a few weeks. So I think Clemson will get into that Final Four discussion when it's all said and done. Number four was Penn State. I I agree with Penn State. I agree with that pick. I think Penn State is the number four team. Now, they're undefeated, as we know. Their quarterback is Sean Clifford, head coach James Franklin, uh, K.J. Hamler. Like, if you haven't seen him play, the dude can straight out fly. Like, he has wheels and wheels. He's a straight burner, so... He's very exciting to watch. Even though I'm not a Penn State fan, it's cool to see him when he has the ball in his hands. So, Penn State, they've beaten Iowa. They've beaten Michigan. They've beaten Michigan State. They played Minnesota this weekend, and who is also ranked. So, I think that also, if they can beat them, that'll only help their resume. But for the game for them is they have Ohio State uh, in a few weeks. So, that's going to be... Uh, a, a, a battle and it's going to be a matchup to watch I believe it's on November 23rd that's going to be kind of whoever wins that game has the inside track as far as the playoff not only Big Ten but for the playoff implications implications as well now I have the number four not number three is because I think if they were to play I can't release my number three team yet but if they were to play one of those three teams Ohio State which they do play in a few weeks LSU and Bama I take those three teams over Penn State every single time. So I have Penn State number four until they prove to me that they could beat one of those top three teams. Number three is Alabama. And I think the committee got that right. Uh, Alabama's super talented as they are every year, led by head coach Nick Saban. But, and you hear a lot of people say, you know, Alabama doesn't play anybody. They have one of the softest schedules. Uh, They don't play anybody. There's no one on their schedule that poses a threat. And they are good, but it's the truth. They really don't play anybody. And when I say that, your conference schedule is locked in. You can't control 
who you play in your conference. But the non-conference schedule is not appealing or attractive whatsoever. Uh, they open the season with Duke, and they beat New Mexico State, who still has not won a game. They beat Southern Miss. And then they have Western Carolina before the Auburn game. So when you look at that non-conference schedule with a team of Alabama's caliber, they should not be playing such a weak schedule. And this is not a knock on Alabama because, like I said, Nick Saban does an awesome job with that first game. Scheduling that first game is a big game because I believe it. you win that game and it just gives you confidence throughout the rest of the year. I mean, we've seen Bama play Penn State and Florida State and uh, Wisconsin and Michigan. We've seen them open with with some big games. And so this was just one of those years that I don't know why Duke is on the schedule. I don't know why you open with them because, I mean, you have Auburn played Oregon early on. You have Georgia played Notre Dame. LSU played Texas. So there's no excuse that Alabama can't play a tougher non-conference schedule. So, but Bama, you know, they're, like I said, ultra-talented with two as quarterback and that amazing receiving core. And like I said, when you have the best coach in college football, uh, history, you know, you're always going to be in the thick of things when it comes to the playoffs. So, I have them currently number three just because they their resume don't really have that signature win as as of yet. But that could all change this Saturday, as we all know, when they uh, host the LSU Tigers. Now, the number two team, I have Ohio State. I know the committee has them number one. I have Ohio State number two, and Ohio State they they've destroyed every single team that they've played. The closest win, the closest game they've been a part of is uh, they beat Michigan State, I believe it was 34 to 10. That, their margin of victory was 24 points. So every other game has been more than 24 points. And, you know, they've beaten Wisconsin 38 to 7. And even their non conference games uh, may not be big name schools, but those schools have winning records and have uh, they've, they've been successful this season. Uh, they, they beat Florida Atlantic first game. Florida Atlantic is currently 6-3. and three. They beat Cincinnati the second game. Cincinnati is currently 7-1. and one. So, like I said, even though these aren't big-name Power 5 schools, it still looks good on your, on your resume when you beat teams who have winning records. And we all know Ohio State – they still have Michigan who are left to play at the end of the year, as well as Penn State. So they can only help build on their resume for a playoff position uh, down the road. Now, the number one team, of course, is LSU. Uh, LSU, they beat Texas, they've beaten Florida, and they've beaten Auburn. And this LSU team is so much different than what we've seen in years past. We've always known them to be a running team and a very good team defensively and even solid receivers. But what they've always been lacking is the passing game. Who's making the plays at quarterback that can really expose a defense and, and keep the defense off balance because we know that they want to run the ball and they're going to run the ball, but you, you can't be one dimensional in the game of football. You have to be able to throw and run. And so that's what LSU has been able to do with Joe Burrow He's already sets a single-season passing touchdown record already with so many more games left to play, and, you know, he's one of the Heisman hopefuls. And then Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, and, you know, LSU, is, they're, they're on a whole other level, it seems. Now, we will see if that continues uh, this Saturday as LSU takes on Alabama. They, they make the trip to Tuscaloosa, and I was able to catch up with a Crimson Tide fan to hear and see how he felt going into the game. 
Jeremy, thank you for joining us here on the sweet spot. Uh, man, you know we have LSU and Alabama in Tuscaloosa this Saturday. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, now I just want a number, just a number, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you as a Bama fan? Seven. Seven. I had a feeling you would say seven. I really did because that's kind of like a in the middle. You're confident but not yeah. overly confident. So I promise you that was the number I was thinking the whole time was seven. <laughs> so um, I'm sure – Tua and his availability has something to do with that. Now, we all know Tua had this tightrope procedure done recently, and I'm sure Bama fans are hoping that he throws tight ropes come Saturday at 2.30 oh, yeah. on CBS. <laughs> How concerned are you about Tua being himself uh, on Saturday afternoon? Uh, that's a big deal to me because you've seen how it played off last year, and when you can't be your full self, it does take something away from you. So I'm definitely concerned with that, and, as much as you want him to play, if he's not healthy, I'd rather um, him not playing. Uh, I think I'd be more comfortable with him not playing if he's not 100% rather than him going out there and trying to play and risking it all. So, And, and plus, it's not only for you know the fans' sake, but for his career's sake. You don't want him to hurt himself as well. So, Yeah, Jeremy, I'm glad you said that, man, because a lot of times we, we look at we just get the win, just get the win, and it's yeah. at any cost. Uh, for any player and so I'm glad that you mentioned that and recognize that a player's health comes first before any W and uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that he's if he does play I'm hoping that he is I'm, for one I'm hoping that it's his decision yes. that he's good to go and, and doesn't feel forced from any coaching staff or medical staff uh, to get out and play because like you said uh, you know as we say with the Joy FM it's, it's more than a game man this is we're talking about a player's health and so I'm hoping that if he does play that first of all, it's his decision and that he's uh, he's really clear to go and, and good to go for himself, man. So uh, so how do you feel about Mac Jones, though? Tell me about your thoughts about him as you've seen him play in recent weeks. You know, he's gotten, you know, garbage time in many games. So you see him and he's made some throws. But, of course, that's not like being thrown in the fire. So this is a totally different situation. And even Arkansas, you know, everybody says it's just Arkansas. But that's still, those were valuable reps that he got. With the weapons that... Alabama has, I think he can get the job done. So that's why I'm saying if two is not totally healthy, I'm fine with Mac Jones being in there. Of course, that's not who you want first and foremost, but I think he can get the job done. Of course, I think he'll come out there a little nervous if he had to go out there because it's such a big game, and I don't think anything will prepare you for that unless you've been in it before. So I, I, I'm slightly – I'm confident in him. We know that you know Bama's currently number two in the country. They're undefeated. Uh, they were recently dropped to number two, and I think that'll probably spark a little fire under them. But every team, regardless of your record, has some bugs and some kinks that need to be worked out. Uh, is there a certain area on this Alabama football team that needs to be improved? Yeah, earlier, if you would ask me earlier in the year, I would have definitely said the defense. But I think, you know, they have improved over the years, and some of that, of course, is freshman playing uh, key roles. Um, and I think over the like over the course of the season, you can tell they've improved. And I think what we do as Alabama fans sometimes, and I've got to be honest about myself, we compare this defense to some of the great defenses. And it's, you know, it's not fair to do that. But even not doing that, they haven't been the same. But I think you have to take into account the youth they've playing with. But to me, still the big issue, which we've had for several years, is the kicking game. And I, although it's it seems small to most people. I think that can come back to bite you, especially in a game where you're one versus two, where any small thing can change the 
the momentum of the game and also change just the whole game period. So I think the kicking game is still definitely where we need improvement in. Now, Jeremy, I'm sure you've watched Bama fan week in, week out, maybe even been to a game or two this season. Uh, has there been a player that's kind of up their game this year, maybe from game to game or even from previous seasons that has really stood out to you this season? Has there been that one player that's kind of uh, just took their game to another level? This might sound like a surprise, but I actually think Najee Harris has actually improved. And you're probably thinking, like, he was a starter coming in, but I didn't think he was the best running back coming into this season. But in the last few weeks, I think he's stepped it up a notch and maybe the offensive line being um, uh, rearranged a little bit. Maybe that helped as well. But I think his play has actually improved the last few weeks. We've talked about Bama. We haven't really gotten into LSU. What about that LSU team, the team traveling from Baton Rouge? What te- what what about their team concerns you or kind of you know keeps you on the edge of your seat? What about their team that kind of just uh, makes you nervous a little bit? Well, over the past uh, several years, we've been know you know what LSU is going to come and do. They're going to try to run the ball, and so as a Bama fan, you you know you prepare for that. Bama's always had a good run defense, so you've been prepared for that. But this year is more of an unknown because they're slinging the ball around a lot more, similar to what Bama's doing. And so you're that part concerns me because all during this year, our offense, our, I'm sorry, our defense gives up yards. And so with an explosive offense like LSU's, you hope they don't give up yards and the points this game. So, Jeremy, this is it, man. Uh, tell me, give me your final score and what's your prediction? <laughs> Who do you have winning the game? Try to be as unbiased as possible, <laughs> but I, I still think, I think Bama will pull it out. Uh, I'll probably say 42-34. I think it'll be a close game, but pretty pretty good scoring on both sides. That's so going to be high scoring. No more 9-6. You don't have to worry about that. This uh, no, no 9-6. No 9-6. <laughs> Although I love that too, though. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, man, we appreciate you stopping by the sweet spot. And uh, good luck to your Crimson Tide come Saturday. Thank you for having me. Thanks. So LSU, Alabama, this weekend in Tuscaloosa, 2.30 on CBS, and some has deemed it as the game of the century. That's what they call it every single year, the game of the century. Now, I wouldn't go that far with it. It's it's not that deep. Let's not overhype this. Now, it's a very intriguing game every single year because the winner of that game has an inside track to the SEC West to advance to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. But like I said, let's not overhype it by calling it the game of the century. Uh, there's been so many games we've seen in years, so I just don't want to put it on that level. Now. Kind of the game within the game that I'm looking forward to seeing a matchup between the two teams is Alabama's wide receiving core against LSU's secondary. Alabama's receiving core is the best in the nation, hands down. And they're led by Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith. And that receiving core, we've, we don't think we've ever seen any receiving core at Alabama like this, with, that this year every single player that I just mentioned poses a a serious threat and how do you account for each one of those receivers now LSU their secondary if you heard me talk in previous shows their secondary is very talented they have Derek Stingley Jr. and Christian Fulton and then Grant Delpit as well all these guys like I mentioned will be first round picks eventually whenever they enter the NFL draft so I think the game itself comes down to what happens within the game the receivers of Alabama against LSU's secondary who wins the battles who wins more of the battles and I think whoever does win the majority of the battles uh, will probably be the victorious team so I'm looking forward to seeing 
that matchup come this weekend. Now, Alabama is led by head coach Nick Saban. Nick Saban is the best coach in college football history, in my opinion. That's my take, and you know I'll stand by it at any time. Even though I'm an Auburn fan, I'm going to be honest and be real. Nick Saban is, is great at what he does. Now, it's hard to go against Nick and what he and and it's hard to go against Nick against any team, period. But especially in the big game, you know. And I know this isn't a national championship game, but in national champions championships, uh, he's six and two. Their only two losses were against Clemson, and they also beat Clemson twice in those playoffs as well. But they're six and two in national championship games. So, and whenever Nick is in a big situation, especially with extra time to prepare as this bye week before LSU, it's hard to to predict that Alabama's going to lose. And I never go against Alabama in big games. Regardless of who they're playing, I always think they're going to win. And I'm sure there's a lot of fans who think the same. So when I think of Nick Saban and how they're always kind of the favorite to win, I think about Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. They're kind of in the same boat. Like, we always expect the Patriots to win when it's a big game. People, uh, I've heard people already book them as far as uh, uh, the AFC representative in the Super Bowl this year, and we're only halfway through the season. But, you know, Bill Belichick is 6-3 and three in the Super Bowl. There are three losses. Uh, two of them was against the Giants. One was against the Eagles a few years back. Now, it's kind of funny. It's not really funny, but you can see the similarities with Nick and Bill Belichick because Saban coached under Belichick, and they're very serious, very methodical. Uh, they have a business-like approach on the field and off the field. I don't know too much about Belichick, but I've seen, I've heard Nick Saban speak a time or two, and he's he's a very funny guy. We don't get a chance to see that because when we see him. He's with the team, and he's very serious. But uh, you've heard some of the stories of the jokes that he tells and how just the players just love being around him. So, like I said, it's hard to go against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. It's hard to go against Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. So that's probably kind of – you can kind of see where I'm swaying as far as my prediction goes for this this weekend's game. And I do have Alabama winning 27-17. to 17. I don't think it'll be – a high-scoring game as some are predicting or some uh, are expecting because both teams had an extra week to prepare and game plan. So I think it's going to be around the 27-17 score that Alabama uh, ends up on top and will probably be number one in the playoff polls come next week. Now, don't go anywhere. We're going to continue some college football talk when we return. So stay right where you are. We'll be right back here on The Sweet Spot. Welcome back to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley, and we're going to continue some talking about the college football and some news that kind of uh, came out over the last week or so. And if you listened to my previous show, you heard me kind of advocate for Willie Taggart and, and Jeremy Pruitt. As I mentioned, whenever you have a new coaching change or a new coaching staff, you have to be patient, first of all. You have to give that coaching staff time to really – get the players to buy into what they're saying, what they're preaching schematically and even, you know, from a motivational standpoint. Uh, whenever you have a new coach, there's always going to be attrition. Players are going to 
the coach has to weed out the ones who just don't fit, the wins that don't want to be there, who aren't fully committed. And then there's always guys who transfer to another program just because uh, they they were there for the previous coaching staff. So you're always looking at probably around seven to ten players whenever a new coach comes in that seven to ten players less that he had that he should have on his roster. So, and like I said, I've kind of gave the example from my cousin Dresden who played at West Alabama. He said when they had a new coach, it took them the second season with that coach to kind of really buy into what he was saying. And so just seeing how impatient Florida State was, and it's not just Florida State. There's been so many other schools that have done it. I mean, Willie Taggart was in halfway through his second season. He signed a six-year deal for $30 million, and halfway through his second season, they relieved him of his duties. And I know there was rumblings all season. I heard so many fans talk about it and fans posting on Facebook that he should go. And I'm just thinking like where does this come from and I'm you know I'm kind of reminded just of this microwave generation that everybody wants instant success they got to have it now if it's not working out then it has to be a change we have to bring in somebody different and so you know I just it really if you can't tell in my voice like I have like a soft spot for coaches because and I know people like well they make x amount of dollars four million dollars a year they're making eight million dollars a year they'll be okay they'll be fine but that's just the kind of money they make in their profession. That doesn't exclude them from uh, the hard work that they do, the feelings that are involved, and the time that they spend away from family as they're constantly at the office, they're on the road recruiting. And I believe Willie Taggart will bounce back and be fine as well. But just the fact that he didn't get a chance, a true opportunity to prove himself just doesn't sit well with me. And there are certain coaches who – are on a shorter leash than others, and it's just not right. Like they'll give you the opportunity, but they don't let you to allow you that chance to fulfill that opportunity once it's given to you. So Willie, I know you'll be good, man. Like <laughs> I said, I highly doubt you're hearing this, but man, I'm in your corner, and so just know that I, I I'm in your I got your corner, man. I'm, I got your back, and I know you'll be you'll bounce back fine, and everything uh, be good in your future endeavors. So, but the fact that. Florida State made their move at this time, halfway through the second season. I knew there was a chance that he could be let go at the end of the year, but to do it the day after a loss against Miami, uh, it really to, what it showed to me is that Florida State must have another coach lined up to take his job, and not just any coach. It has to be a coach with great stature, somebody who has uh, built their name and is very uh, reputable, you know, when it comes to college football. And so the two names that have been floated out there, one has been Urban Meyer, who Urban Meyer is, uh, you know, he works with the Fox Sports team out in Los Angeles. People were saying he took the job knowing that it's in Los Angeles because he can watch some of the high school recruits out there because he's going to take the USC job. So I don't think Urban will be involved with the Florida State job at all. Now, the other name that's been rumored is Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops, we all know, was a long-tenured coach at Oklahoma, even won a national championship. And there's been a lot of, you know how they say, uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's been a lot of talk that Bob Stoops has already been in contract details and discussions with uh, Florida State that he's going to take over for Willie Taggart. And, you know, we always talk about rumors. And usually to rumors, there's some truth to it, Uh, you know, Every every lie has some truth to it, you know. So I'm thinking that they already had some kind of discussion. They already had some kind of 
deal under the table that Bob Stoops would take over for Willie Taggart. So that's why I think they went ahead and made the move now and allowed Bob Stoops to hit the recruiting trail before the season ends. Now, the athletic director said they don't expect to announce a hire until the end of the month. But just the fact that they already have a, a timetable, like, it really speaks to that they'd have somebody in mind and, and probably already have a uh, a deal in place for Bob Stoops, as I'm predicting that's, that's who they're going to hire. And like I said, Bob Stoops is a good coach, but just it's still unfair that you know, Willie didn't get a, a true chance and a fair opportunity to prove that he is a white, the right guy to turn around that program. As we know, Jimbo Fisher left it in shambles on his way to College Station. So, uh, like I said, Jimbo, Jimbo just wasn't fully invested towards the end of his tenure at Florida State, and it showed regardless of who the next head coach is going to be. Now, there's only, and I know some people are like, well, look what Nick Saban did, look what Urban Meyer has done. And we're we're talking about some of the best coaches in the league. Like when I think about the best coaches, there's three that comes to mind, and that's Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, and even Jim Harbaugh. I mean, Nick Saban, everything, everywhere he's gone, he turned them around. He instantly turned around uh, some of these programs. And even Bama was one game away in his second season. They were one game away from the national championship when they lost in the conference championship to Florida, and Tim Tebow and that's in that squad. So, but even he would tell you that. Just because you have success in next year in the second season doesn't mean that you've arrived. And so, you know, Urban Meyer, everywhere he's gone, Utah at Utah they won, Florida they won, Ohio State his first year they went undefeated, but they couldn't compete for any bowl games because they were on probation. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh has built Stanford to what they are now. I mean, Stanford was kind of the doormat of the Pac-12. At the time, they were the Pac-10, if I'm not mistaken. And so Stanford – is David Shaw has done an amazing job continuing what Harbaugh built there, but he he put Stanford on the map. Harbaugh did, and he parlayed that success to the San Francisco 49ers, and he was there for four years. His first year with San Francisco, they lost in the conference championship game to the Giants. The second year, they lost in the Super Bowl to the Baltimore Ravens. His brother John was the victor in that game, and then the third year they lost to the Seahawks in the conference championship again. So. Three his first three years, they went they were at least one game away from being in the Super Bowl. And like I said, one of those years they were in the Super Bowl and, and lost to the Baltimore Ravens. And then the fourth year they finished eight and eight and that power struggle with Jed York, who uh I'm sure San Francisco forty nine ers fans are glad that he's not a part of that forty ers front office anymore. But those are the three coaches, Jim Harbaugh, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, who are able to immediately kind of turn around programs and to, the, to their winning ways. If you're not in those top three, then I think everybody else, you know, you kind of kind of give them four or five. Every coach you should give anyway, a new coach, you give them a minimum of four years because it takes time to, to get your recruit skin, get your, uh, like I said, the players that fit your system and just changing the mindset of from what the previous regime uh, kind of, you know, brought in for that for that that student body, whatever, as far as the athletics and that program. But like I said, you have to give a new coach a minimum of four years whenever a new coaching staff is brought in. So just the fact, like I said, that, that Taggart was let go halfway through his second year really just doesn't sit well with me. But, you know, it makes me think about, you know, Gene Chizik. I was a huge Gene Chizik fan, and I'm still a fan of his. You know, his second year won a national championship. 
uh, first in 50 years, the second in school history. And most schools, most schools, you know, they, they <laughs> if it's your second title in school history, they build a statue for guys like that. And they name the field after coaches uh, that kind of, you know, achieved that kind of success. But, you know, two years later, Gene Chizik, they went three and nine. And he made a bad hire, and with Scott Leffler running, calling the shots, and offensively, and someone who never called the plays, and they they fired Gene Chizik two years after winning the national championship, and I was just blown away that this is the same coaching staff that just won you a national championship. Like I mentioned, you're second in school history, you're first in in fifty years. And yes, they had a horrible season, but they don't get a second chance to do it over. Like, where's the, uh, where's the faith? Where's the loyalty? And it just, I don't know. It really rubbed me a wrong way uh, when that happened, just because what they've done to bring a national championship in, and two years later they get the boot and you clean house. Now, people may say for that 2010 season, well, they had Cam Newton, you know, they had Nick Fairley on the defensive end. Uh, that's why they won, but. Every national championship team has that superstar on that team, and that's why they win. Like, you think of Florida, Tim Tebow's quarterback. They won two championships there. USC and Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush, one of the most exciting college football players we've ever seen. Texas had Vince Young. You know, uh, even Florida State and Jameis. Like, I'm not a fan of Jameis Winston, but he is. he was the number one pick for a reason. So, don't give me that excuse that Auburn had Cam Newton, they had Nick Fairley, because that team wasn't the most talented that year. But I think just with that coaching staff and what they were able to do week in, week out, and preparing that team, regardless of situation, that it's never over. And when I say it's never over, if you go back and look at the season and the wins that they had, uh, Clemson was up 17-0. Auburn came back and won that game in overtime. They were down against South Carolina 20-7. to came back and won that game. Georgia, they were down 21-7, came back and beat Georgia. And then the win, the comeback win, not only of the season, but probably for sure of Auburn football history, is when they beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa after trailing 24-0. to I mean, to beat Alabama, period, is one thing. But to be down 24-0 on the road in Tuscaloosa under Nick Saban, I mean, it doesn't Mark Ingram and those guys. I'm, I'm telling you, like that. It doesn't get much better than that, as far as just a sports fan, unless you're an Alabama fan, I'm sure. But just seeing a comeback like that, a comeback of ages, as they call it, the comeback. But I'll tell you, prior to that game, Gene Chizik was telling his guys in the locker room, "We have to weather the storm. We have to weather the storm. There's going to be moments in this game that doesn't go our way." And we have to fight through it. We have to keep stay true to what we know and weather the storm because things are not going to go our way a lot of the time. And 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 that's just it's in life too, not just in in the game, but also in life. I mean, we we have situations where you know we're frustrated because this went wrong and your car messed up, and you know this situation at the job, and we want to cave in and quit. But we have to weather the storm because. You know, it may be raining, it may be flooding in your life. Your umbrella won't pop open. But I'm telling you, weather the storm because it does get better. What you're enduring now won't always be that way. There's always uh, brighter days. Those gray skies won't always be gray. They'll be blue. The sun will shine again in your life. So like Gene Chizik said, you have to weather the storm regardless of what the situation you're in. So 
like I mentioned, Gene Chizik was uh, relieved of his duty duties after the 2012 season, and like I said, it just uh, upset me upset upset me that he wasn't given a second chance to do it over again and to prove that he was the right man for the job. Now, they removed him from the head coaching position, clean house, brought in an, an entirely new coaching staff led by Gus Malzahn. And so Gus was the head coach, and I was uh, one of those who we won the championship in 2010. Like I said, I'm speaking as an Auburn fan, Auburn grad, as I was there. So when I say we, excuse me, but Auburn won a national championship in 2010. And then 2011, Auburn beat Utah State in, in a come-behind win, and then it beat Mississippi State on the goal line stand when uh, Ryan Smith made the tackle to stop Chris Ralph. And then game three, lost to Clemson. Lost to Clemson in Death Valley. Sammy Watkins kind of had his, his breakout party and had a field day against Auburn on the road. And, you know, Dabo Swinney definitely let the Auburn fan base know uh, through his excitement and his enthusiasm, as he always does in his post-game press conferences. So, uh, but after that game, that was the moment where I knew I wanted Gus to leave. It's because I believe with a coordinator, whether it's offensively or defensively, it takes two full seasons to know what that coordinator is about. You you understand their tendencies, their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, there's it, so it takes two full seasons to really know how they handle different situations. And so even though we were coming off a national championship in 2010, three games into 2011, I seen enough of Gus to believe that he couldn't have sustained success. And sure enough, he left that year in 2011 to take the head coaching job at Arkansas State, and I celebrated. I was excited because. I wanted more for Auburn, and I knew Gus wasn't the right guy to give Auburn more to have success long term. But sure enough, Chizik is let go. Auburn brings back Gus Malzahn, the fan base. They're ecstatic that we have an Auburn guy back, and he won a national championship. Look what he did when he was at Auburn. And I never bought into it. As that Gus bus rode by, I didn't hop back on. I didn't want any part of it. So, uh, And you look at it now, fast forward what that was 2013 when he was named head coach and now it's 2019 so we're looking at six years and now though that majority of the fan base are hopping off that bus when I tried to tell them never to get on I mean I even had a heated argument with one of my friends on how Gus wasn't the guy when he was first hired and it took him some years it took him a few years to kind of see what I was saying but he called me the other day and and now he's right on board as well he's an Auburn fan and a true Auburn fan but I know he's had his moments with Gus as well as I'm now I'm seeing Gus is Gus has to go. I'm seeing it on Facebook and seeing that Gus is not the guy. We should never brought him back. And like I said, people people weren't listening when I tried to tell them. Those of you who know me, you know I've never been a fun a fan of his. So, uh, but you know Auburn fans, they're stuck with Gus now. They gave him that seven year contract a couple years ago, and and unless something drastic changes. He's going to be the coach for a few more years because as long as he continues to be ten and two, nine and three, with maybe an upset win over Bama every four years or an upset win over Georgia every four years, he'll remain to be the head coach for the Auburn Tigers. Now, that's my take with Taggart, with Gene Chizik, how that was handled, and Gus Malzahn, how I kind of seen this coming years ago. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it continues to play out for the Auburn Tigers. And even Willie Taggart as he looks for a new job in his career. 
Now, when we return, we're going to pick up with the triple C part of the day. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on The Sweet Spot. Welcome back to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley, and it's time for Triple C, Corey's closing comments. And today what I want to share with you is do not let a temporary feeling or emotion lead to a decision that will have a permanent effect in your life. And what I mean by that is, you know, like I said, things happen, we get frustrated, but we can't react. We have to respond. When you get upset, when something doesn't go your way, don't immediately react. Take Take a step back, take some thought and really consider about what you're going to do next before you do it. Because if you react just based off pure emotion, then that could lead to some serious trouble down the road, whether it's in your life or it involves other people's lives. So whenever we have a situation where we're, we're highly frustrated or angry, um, go to, you know, we hear this, go to a quiet place take some time away walk away from the situation and really seriously consider what you're about to do before you do it and i think that's also kind of the danger of social media today is that we as people we are we we voice our frustrations and concerns and and you post it and you feel good that you got it out but a lot of times you'll look at it the next day and you'll be like i shouldn't have said that I shouldn't have said that. There's no way I should have posted that. I shouldn't have t- sent that text message. So whenever you have that moment that you're upset and you're bothered, take some time away and allow the situation to calm down. And always remember, with me and with God, you're always loved in the sweet spot. Stay in the sweet spot for the Joy FM Sports Facebook page. This has been a presentation of the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game.